This podcast was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team for the Junior Cycle Talks channel. Welcome to this week's Arts and Junior Cycle podcast. My name is Michelle Garrity, Arts and Junior Cycle Advisor, and in this week's episode, we are delighted to be joined by the studio and outreach producer with Irish National Opera, James Bingham. In this podcast, James tells us about how he became involved in classical music and opera. He shares some approaches which have helped him to motivate young people to sing in choirs and discusses how there is something which we can all learn from opera. We hope you enjoy this podcast. I suppose, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in music? Uh, Thanks, it's really great to be here. Yeah, music's something that I've been interested in really since I was in high school, really. Um, I always had an interest uh, in music in a very sort of general sense. And I've always had an interest in singing as well. Music was, I think, something that I I would go to to sort of perform with various bands when I was in high school. And I'd also go to Manchester Student Union and, and sing there with various bands as part of that. And kind of had this sort of engagement and interest, but I never really had that kind of interest in classical music until much later, really. It was right until I was just about to leave school, really, that I decided to kind of expand my horizons a bit with what I was listening to. Kind of most notably, I ended up singing with a youth choir called the Halle Youth Choir. So the Halle's a professional orchestra in Manchester who are internationally well-known, really. Um, And they had an outreach programme taking place there where they were inviting young people to sing in this choir. And I decided to, at the recommendation of a friend, to turn up and and give it a go. And in doing so, I I, I went there with a bit of trepidation because I didn't really think that classical music was for people like me. I thought it was something... I didn't think it was for anyone, to be honest. I thought it was a bit of a relic, something that was for uh, very posh people, something that was uh, not really engaged within society in the same way. It was a sort of historical artefact. And then I turned up, there's all these people who actually were just like me. And also, crucially, they were performing music to a really high level in a really top quality environment in terms of its kind of uh, musical ambition. And so, you know, within the space of a few months, that was a huge revelation to me. And I ended up singing at the proms at a big chorus and, and thinking, gosh, there's actually all this incredible music out there that I've never really listened to and uh, I've got all this to discover so that was that was really when I got into classical music specifically but I've always had this interest quite sort of generally in music in some sort of way. So from I suppose singing in a choir then to conducting choirs I suppose maybe explain to listeners what a conductor does. Some people would call me a conductor and some people would call me an animateur and I tend to use those sort of sort of phrases interchangeably, really. I'm a conductor in the sense that I am a trained conductor. I went to music college and studied studied conducting while I was there. But I, I'm an animateur in the sense that the the thing I'm I'm principally interested in really is working with with amateurs and 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 getting the most out of them 
but but also them sort of taking something away themselves from that sort of process. And that's been something that I've been really interested in, more so than the, the sort of standard sort of approach to purely professional music making, really. I'm really interested in, in, in how people can be inspired to get involved in music in that sort of way, much as, as I was saying before, that kind of summer I had when I was with the Halle, I, you know, reflecting on that a few years later when I was more immersed in music, I thought, well, actually, I want to kind of, I, I want to share classical music with as many people as possible. And 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 so the work that I do is kind of a, that sort of work really is, is engaging people through the process. Um, now, how you actually do that is quite similar really to formal conducting. In fact, from experience, what I've found is actually if you take the music seriously with people who are new to music uh, or new, new to making music and new to singing or whatever that context is, and, and if you give them the responsibility to come on board with your process then they're going to get a lot more out of that and again looking back to that context before the reason why i was so interested so blown away by that getting involved with the halle was we were singing with one of the very best professional orchestras and so they were saying to me look you are you are you're worth bringing along to this you know we value you for who you are um and i think that's really powerful and i think the more we can do that as 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 animateurs or as conductors it's, it's all for the better Absolutely. So I suppose what skills then would you use um, as an animateur or a conductor to motivate or encourage young people to get involved in singing in choirs? What has worked for you? I suppose the big thing really and a lot of the practice that I had, certainly when I was at Opera North, where I was working, you know, five days a week, really in rehearsals the whole time working with amateurs, largely kids. The big thing for me there was about being efficient. And what I mean by that is you have a limited amount of time in a rehearsal room. I, I'm sure, you know, there's there's parallels here absolutely with teaching. You know, you, you can't sort of let that idea just sort of drop into someone's head until you're over an infinite period of time. You've got to you structure your approach so it fits into that. And the way I, I deal with efficiency really is actually to get down to having something that's really, really interactive. So most of the time I'm singing and they're singing back because I think kids, certainly young kids, respond really well to that. It's that consistent call and response and distilling everything down to this kind of musical tennis a lot of the, a lot of the time. Because that way as well, the kids are constantly engaged in the process they're always they're contributing something their body's moving they're always singing they're always involved uh, and so it's sort of impossible for them to sort of you know take take the foot off the gas really the other thing as well really is is what kind of repertoire you choose to put on and this i think is a bit of a double-edged sword because it's very tempting sometimes to okay what's in the charts let's let's do something that the kids love uh, because because they like that they're going to now come to choir because we're going to sing this piece of music and so we're on to a winner and that does work but there's a very limited shelf life i think to that kind of approach really from my experience a lot more of the time you're better to say look here is something that you have never heard that i think you're going to kind of like have a go and see see what you think and typically if you give them something that is pretty foreign to them i found kids respond really well to that provided and this is the the big thing provided what it is that you're you're showing to them is something that you think is really, really great. You know, I'll give you a good example. At the end of a lot of the rehearsals that I used to do when I worked at Opera North, we used to play, I used to play a piece of music at the end, either as they were just sort of leaving the classroom or as something that we'd consciously sit down and listen to. One week I played 
some prepared piano pieces by John Cage. Now, prepared piano, if you don't know what that is, it's a process uh, where the composer or, or the performer will actually put in things like paper clips and blue tack and pieces of paper into the piano strings. And so, as you can imagine, it, it once they're in there and you play the piece, it doesn't sound like a piano in the usual sense. It sounds like something mm. very different. It's a real different kind of instrument. And that's quite challenging music, I think, certainly for young kids, but they absolutely jumped on it and loved it. And I think that they loved that a lot more than even say if I played them like Vivaldi's Four Seasons, you know, something that most people would think, oh, that's something that's recognizable. You know, they were like, I've never heard anything like that. That's really cool. And it's the same with the repertoire you choose. If you show them things that they've never come across, they can really kind of lean into that stuff sometimes and really get excited about it. There's no exact science. Sometimes I brought things and I thought, this they're going to really sort of get their teeth into this uh, and they're going to really like it and it's just not worked and vice versa there's been stuff that i was a bit lukewarm on and they've just launched themselves into um, but it's 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 not always the kind of the pop hits and all that kind of stuff it's it can be quite left field things from a well-being point of view there how do you mind your own voice when you're dealing with choirs there is a big parallel between the work that i do and the challenges a lot of teachers face in terms of looking after your voice. It's just what I end up doing tends to be a lot more heavy duty because there's, you know, usually a hundred kids and I'm singing most of the time, but the principles are kind of still the same. And I do remember my first couple of weeks when I started Opera North getting sort of to the end of that kind of first period that I had there and just being absolutely exhausted vocally. That's about actually going back to kind of singing technique. The whole genesis of operatic technique is really built on sort of two principles. One is the very practical consideration of being able to be heard over an orchestra, because in opera, nobody's mic'd. And then the second one really is being able to produce a sound to that volume that is, is going to be healthy, because we can all shout over an orchestra and be heard, but you can't shout over an orchestra and have, you know, a 30, 40, 50 year long career. You know, that's why opera singers sound like how they sound is because they are trying to, to resonate in order to create this sound. Now, I think a lot of that kind of learning transfers across to the work that I do, and I think can also be transferred to the work done in teaching. Now, I, what, I'm not saying that... that, that teachers should all become opera singers that, that's impractical for many reasons but you know i i myself am not a, a professional opera singer but i have a degree of, of vocal training um from the work that i've done i end up applying a lot of that work to not just how i'm singing but also how i'm, I'm speaking so making sure that i am supported and projecting and not shouting the whole time you know I, I would say to any teachers who are listening if you have the opportunity to go and have a singing lesson with someone I'd really try it out, A, because it's a load of fun, but also I think there's certain things you can probably take away in terms of how you actually are able to speak in the classroom and are able to be heard without getting home at the end of the day and feeling like you've got a sore throat. So I suppose let's let's move it along. You've, you've referenced opera there. So why and how did you decide to make the move then from this choral conducting profession completely into the opera space? I suppose there's an, an obvious and natural connection with opera singing, but, but opera is a lot more than just the singing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, opera is, is a, there's a sort of a quote I, I hear occasionally and I never quite know who it's by about it being, a, you know, like an insane idea. It's a terrible idea, opera. It's so ambitious in what it's wanting to do. It, it's singing and it, but it's not just singing, it's singing to its absolute, really pushing the extremities of singing of what the human voice can do. 
but it's not just doing that in it, in a singing context. It's doing that in a variety of other different artistic contexts. And so you're going for this unbelievably ambitious and, and real large emotions with opera the whole time. Now, that, do, that doesn't mean I think that the opera is necessarily always like dramatically consistently heavy but it's um there's something about the medium of opera there's another quote i hear about i can't remember who said this about i think everybody's life is that everyone is is the the star of their own opera in life which i i think so true and is what i really like about opera there's those you know those moments where if you're about to speak to someone and you're about you're afraid to tell them something there's that kind of emotional turmoil that's going off inside you when you say that, that you can't quantify that in any kind of way. And I think opera is the only medium that can do those sorts of things. Or, you know, when someone says something so funny that you can't help but burst out laughing. It's those kinds of moments that I think opera is very good at capturing. How I kind of ended up in opera was part out of interest and part out of kind of where I landed, as most people do, really. it's um, You see the opportunities that kind of lie in front of you. I did my undergraduate at, at uh, the University of Sheffield in music, and then I went to the Royal Welsh in Cardiff, where I trained as a conductor there. And as, when I was there, there were a lot of singers studying. And if you're studying to be a professional singer, really, if, if you're serious about about having a, a career in there, you've got to look at opera as a career route. A lot of the people who were there were were really passionate about opera uh, and were, were looking to work in opera more. So I was hanging around with a lot of people who were really interested in opera. And it's that, you know, from a teaching perspective, it's almost that kind of peer-to-peer learning thing is I just got to know a lot about opera by just spending time with people. And by the end of my time there, I'd put on, on an opera myself with my friends in the in the college and had this real enthusiasm and interest for it and wanted to explore it more. And then as, as luck would have it, an opportunity came up at Glyndebourne to work on their staff as a project coordinator for the education department there. So I, yeah, I got involved there um, and worked with them for a while. Then an opportunity came at Opera North and then at, at INO. So I've, I've sort of inadvertently ended up becoming quite specialised in, in outreach in the context of opera specifically, partly through chance, but partly through the fact that I, I think it's a really terrific art form. So you, you've brought us along nicely there. So I suppose right now you are the studio and outreach producer for INO or Irish National Opera. What are what are these roles about? What do they involve? The, 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 there's two halves to my jobs, as you can probably tell by the, the title there. The, the first half studio uh, is I, I manage the ABL Aviation Opera Studio. And that's a program that we run working with young artists who are at the early stages of their career. They've left music college and are looking to kind of move to that sort of next level. And so we kind of offer a program that's partially opportunities on in, in some of our productions so that's a sort of cover roles or understudies or if they're a conductor or a composer or a, a director there's there's sort of other roles that fit in around that as well like 
but then we also offer bespoke activity to to members of the studio as well, where there's specific training that we do for them. So that's part of my work. And then the other half is in setting up the outreach program at INO. And I, I sort of think the two things interlink in a way. I, I mean, my definition of what outreach is, is very, very broad. And the more I work in this industry, the less certain I am about what it is. From where I'm at now with, with the definition is if you see marketing as being something that is about principally about getting people to attend opera. Outreach is about looking at how Irish National Opera can use its assets and use its knowledge and, and what it's good at to have a positive impact on society. And that might be by getting people to see an opera, because we think that opera is really, really terrific. And we think that lots of people can benefit so much from coming to see an opera. And so it's about creating routes to remove barriers for people, whether that's you know to do with ticket prices or whether that's to do with preconceptions or people being nervous about certain aspects of it. There related to bringing people into the opera and that they're also related to education you know giving people the, the context around it but then there's also work that we do which i think is is really really interesting around working with communities to create new works and create opera in partnership with communities and do something that they're interested in and so it's a way way for us to kind of listen to the community and say okay well we've we've got all this kind of experience and stuff like that but it's very dangerous for us to take this sort of colonial attitude with what we do and say we think opera is good for you and kind of insist that's the case because actually we don't know people people's circumstances and but if we can give people the tools and, and say you know what is it that interests you we've we've got all this th for you to make use of and we'd like you to work with us um, then I think you could sometimes make some really interesting stuff we're doing it because actually we want to hear the perspective of these people whether that's working with young people who might not think that their voice is heard in opera might not think that that opera's for them well why not get them to write an opera or be involved in the creation of an opera and their experience and their learning is something that we can't replicate. I could write a story for kids and a child can write a, a story for kids and they're going to be different kinds of stories. <laughs> they're both artistically interesting, but in their own way, really. Something else I'd like to touch on there is just your promotion of opera and classical music that it is for everybody. So talk to me about where this passion for classical music inclusion and accessibility has come from. Like, why do you think classical music or believe maybe that classical music and opera needs an advocate? Well, I mean, this goes back to what we said at the start of the conversation around my own experiences sort of going back to, to to what i said there this kind of revelation that i had at the time about what classical music could do for me it wasn't just about you know exploring this new music it was about meeting people it was about having a sense of identity it was about having a passion there was all these positive experiences that i got out of that process and still have still still continue to get and it's it's absolutely enriched my life unquestionably the experience of getting involved in classical music. Now, that's not to say that it will enrich the lives of everyone or in the, exactly the same way as it has for me. But what I think is really important is that we shouldn't let the art form die because there's plenty of people, I think, who would be interested and, and don't necessarily realise what, what actually opera is and, and what can be there. And I do, I do think that anyone can come to opera and take something away from it. And, and usually they, they tend to take something away that they were surprised they, they weren't expecting when they arrived. And I think giving people the opportunities to be engaged in the art form is, is really important for that sort of reason, really. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. 
looking at your job role and your description there, communication is obviously very important. Working with music and song, what does music bring or communicate to people that perhaps the spoken or written word can't? I mean, there are plenty of examples in opera of, of moments where the text itself is relatively simple, but the commentary from the music can aid that, can amplify what's being said, or it can subvert it, or it can go in a completely unexpected direction, really. I think that kind of interplay in opera is really, really interesting. You've talked about creating and facilitating projects. So what are you currently working on at the moment? We're doing a, a virtual reality community opera. Going back to what I'd said before about you know, working with communities, um, a community opera is, it, it does exactly that. We've been, uh, we've been working with a collection of communities around Ireland for the last year, developing an opera absolutely from the bottom up, trying to figure out what this opera is going to be about and who's going to be in it, and what it's going to sound like, and all those things have been taking place via remote sessions that we've been doing online uh, with members of the community. So we've been working with residents on the island of Inish Man. Uh, we've been working with a variety of secondary school students from various parts of, of rural Ireland uh, and we've been also been working with adults who are living in uh, South Dublin and Taller and we've been devising this work for for virtual reality so what I mean by that is, is, is it's going to exist on a virtual reality headset I think that the immersive side of virtual reality is really interesting yeah. and there's certain things you can do in virtual reality as a result you know the kind of interactive nature of it and, and the worlds you can create because really you're not limited by a stage in the sense as you are with, with theatre. Then the other major piece we're doing is a participatory youth opera. So the difference between community opera and participatory really is that this is something where people take part in the process. And that process is something that is predetermined really by professional artists. So they're not necessarily involved in the creation of the piece, but we we create a piece that's for them. And so we're, we're, we've got a new piece that's currently in the process of being written by the composer David Coonan and the uh, writer uh, Dylan Coburn Gray. Uh, it's a new piece called Horse Ape Bird which um, <laughs> I quite like the, the name of the title. Uh, and we're going to be working with children in Meath and Kildare to perform this piece next year. Uh, and it's, it's three um, stories in history about animals, well-known animals in history, who were known for having particularly human-like qualities. So one of them is a horse called Hans, who was, I think it was in the 1800s in Germany. He was known for being able to solve mathematical equations. This is a true story as well. Uh, another one is a, a monkey known as Nim Chipsky, who could do sign language, and a parrot called Alex, who could, could speak and could identify objects and could say what those objects were. Both of those projects sound very exciting. Can you describe the steps you take maybe when you're starting a project? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a variety of factors that we consider. Sometimes projects ca can come out of the blue in the sense that we th there's an opportunity for us to work with someone. And sometimes uh, we, do, we we look at doing projects because we are interested in working with a particular group. But I think that the question I always ask myself really with, with projects like this is, is it artistically interesting? And I, I mean that not in the sense that is this something that, you know, the artistic community is going to be interested in? Because I think that's very inward looking. The reason why I ask that question is because I think if, if it's not fundamentally something that's artistically interesting, then it goes back to that old issue of, you know, you're just you're just doing it because you're trying to be down with the kids or whatever it is, you know. It's saying, look, here's something that we think's really cool. And we hope you do too. Try it out and see. 
And then I suppose there are obviously going, you're going to meet challenges along the way. So in a project, when you meet a challenge, what questions do you ask yourself to, to move it along? Uh, well, I suppose the big the big challenge with a lot of outreach work is the unknown factor. But it's also the most exciting thing about it, really. You know, if you, we talk about the, um, the virtual reality opera. That opera is, um, you know, being built from the ground up with people that we don't know and, you know, but we're delighted to be working with mm. them. And so we don't know what the story is going to be about. And so we're handing over this power that, that, that we're used to having in our typical productions where we, you know, have a group of professionals and we say we'd like to put on a production of Lab OM by Puccini. And so we kind of know, well, we know exactly what the story is going to be because it's, it was written by Puccini 100 years ago. You know, it's when we are devising something mm -hmm. with community communities um, or the communities involved in some way we're working with people for the first time and that's really exciting because there's that unknown element but it's also there's always carries with it risk but it's important that we carry risk because i think if we don't carry risk in our projects then we're not taking our community participation really that seriously that's a fair point. If somebody, James, had an interest in working in an area of music similar to you, what, what advice would you give to them? I'd say, you know, be led by your enthusiasms, really. The thing that I found to be extremely useful in, the, in really shaping my career was actually starting from this premise of rather than saying, I want to have this job and I want to be in this position. Uh, instead, I thought, well, what do I want to change about the world in my own small way? What can I do to kind of have an impact? And I, I thought, you know, if I can try and give opportunities to as many people as I can to try out classical music in its many forms and in many different ways of engagement, then I'll be really happy. You know, having that kind of premise meant that I could pursue that sort of passion, really, of going down that road of saying, this is what I care about. And so I don't really care so much as to whether I'm conducting as I was in my old job at Opera North or if I'm behind the scenes more working as a producer, like I, I am at Irish National Opera, I think that sort of thing is finding what it is that interests you. And if what it is that interests you is being something, then I think that's great. And actually, I think the very best opera singers I work mm. with, which is a extremely competitive industry, they're people who are relentlessly passionate about the work they do. Um, I suppose just taking a broader look at the junior cycle curriculum, it offers lots of choice and flexibility for teachers. But opera might be an area that teachers will naturally gravitate towards. So I suppose just before we finish up, what advice would you give to teachers wanting to get their students more engaged in opera, but maybe not knowing how? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about opera not being a first choice for people. I mean, even, you know, I was a music student as an undergrad and really my whole time there I didn't really listen to opera and in fact I don't think I'd even been to see an mm. opera when I was an undergrad so even I think for people who are interested in classical music opera can sometimes be a step too far and I think that's because it carries with it even more of the stereotypes than classical music does you know those classical music is constantly dogged by these issues of being stuffy and elitist and expensive and actually a lot of those things just aren't true when you spend a bit of time with it but i think people think that's even more of a case when you get to opera you know very long plot lines that are very complicated and and, and aren't very interesting and aren't really for me i'd say if you're looking to try and find a way into opera and to find something that's going to interest you or your students the thing i I'd, I'd say is don't go for an opera that you've heard of you know like you, you may have heard of the marriage of figaro 
It's a really fantastic opera. It's unbelievable. But I wouldn't say go and listen to that opera because you you've heard of it. I think try and find things where there's a story or you hear a bit of it and you think that sounds really cool rather than th- than the other way around because there's there's a lot to get over in those sorts of pieces. Certainly I think when you're going in for a first time and there are some absolutely glorious moments in the marriage of figaro i I feel like i'm singling out the marriage of figaro now (laughs) there's some absolutely glorious moments musically and if you hear those moments you think that is really beautiful then that's great explore that opera more but the variety of stories in opera are so broad you know the the previous company to irish national opera um was there was two smaller companies that that were in existence beforehand and one of them called wide open opera did a piece called nixon in china uh, which is about Richard Nixon's visit when he was president to China. I think he was the first president from the Western world to visit modern China mm. at the time. Now, that's a story that you don't really think of as being an opera story, you know, particularly because it's inherently very modern uh, and it's in, in what the story is. But I think it's that an opera like that is a really great first opera because it immediately challenges people as, as to what opera is about. You know, I'd, I'd recommend going and looking as well on, on our website at Irish National Opera at our 20 Shots of Opera. So it's a project we did um, during the first lockdown where we commissioned 20 composers to write 20 short operas for film. So you get to see them in their natural habitat. Um, so not live where, you know, that's the that's the true way to experience most opera is, is live in the flesh as opposed to recordings and stuff. But, um, you know, these were for film and these were for to be experienced on live. So you can see them as they're intended to be and they cover a variety of subjects and they're in a variety of different musical styles and the best bit is they're only five minutes long so if you don't like one of them just you can just listen to another one but a nice introduction just before we finish i suppose let's finish with an insight into your own opera interests what's your own favorite opera uh, this changes on a daily basis, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I'm i a huge fan of Benjamin Britten. Mm. And I'd say of all those, Peter Grimes really has to be uh, his, his his magnum opus, really. It's it's an amazing work about uh, an individual who who's, lives in a fishing village and is accused of murdering his apprentice boy. And the community, this small parochial community, turn on him. And, you know, that's it, it's very much set in in Suffolk and, and and has its very, its own time and place in the, the vernacular of the writing. But that kind of story, I still think, is something that people can really identify with. Your favourite opera singer? I, I think of opera, an opera singer that I've seen live. And I think when I was at Glyndebourne, a couple of times I saw the singer Chris Purvis perform. The first time I saw him was in the role of Saul, which is a Handel piece, which was an absolutely mad production. It was directed by a guy called Barry Kosky. And if you have a quick look on YouTube at that production, you'll see why it's it's pretty mad. I, I the, the thing I loved about Chris Purvis was not only is his voice does his voice sound like liquid gold, but he's also an incredible actor. And you know, truly believing in a performance like that and in a performer like that, I think is 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 really special. And then I suppose if there was one piece of opera music that everyone should listen to, what would that be? I mean, I think it would have to be a Mozart opera because Mozart's style of writing is, is there's something so pure about him. I mean, singers are always encouraged to, to sing Mozart. It's, it's one of these things that is kind of so yeah. good for you in a way. And, you know, and from them, you know, gosh, I, that's a really tough choice, really. I'd probably, you know, I'd have to probably say Cosi Fantute. 
because I think there's something rather amazing about Cosi Fantuti because it's I like to call it it's a, it's a, a a wonderful opera about horrible people. The the storyline to Cosi Fantuti is so outdated by modern day standards. You know the the premise of of it is effectively these two men enter into a bet that they can uh, that they they're both convinced that their respective other halves are faithful and so they both attempt to seduce the other person's respective partner in disguise <laughs> so already it's on shaky premise the story but the, the the basically the conclusion that the opera draws is is well that's basic you know both women uh, apologies for the spoiler alert but you know it's been out for several hundred years so i hope you can forgive me yeah. it's, it's not line of duty you know it's um both women end up falling for the the other partner uh, and the moral of the story is that's because you know that's what women are like uh, you know which is and you think controversial oh my god that is a terrible <laughs> ter- terrible st- like idea for a story there it's you know grossly outdated but the music is so glorious for Kazi. And there are just so many moments where you think that is just absolutely extraordinary what he's done. So I'm going to finish up and just say thank you so much, James, for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and the best of luck with these and all of your other future projects. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team for Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere you listen to your podcasts.